This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Are you girls ready for this episode? Because let me tell you, it is a good one. Gabby Reese is in the house and she did not disappoint. She has so many oh, pearls of wisdom. She had me in stitches. I just love this woman. Before we get started, our good friends at Sage Wellness have pulled one of their favorite clips from this episode. Let's tune in to this week's Sage Moment with Gabby Reese. For someone listening, I just think it's like, hey, listen, first, it's got to start with this. Knowing that you're valuable enough and important enough and to love yourself enough to go, okay, what do I really think is valuable investing in me, myself? So, and what are the other assets that are important? My time, right? Number one. So how do you figure out the way to honor yourself in that way, even if it's like uncomfortable? Because in the end, it is the greatest investment you can make. Today, I am sitting down with a world-renowned athlete, a former pro volleyball player, TV personality, New York Times bestselling author. She's a model, wife, and mom to three girls. I don't know if we could possibly fit any more titles in there for you. Gabby Reese is here today, and we are going to dig into body image as an athlete, her marriage to pro surfer Laird Hamilton, her key ingredients for a successful life, and we're going to talk about something really cool that she has been working on. Gabby was Nike's first female spokeswoman, and when you hear her talk, her authentic, raw nature and commanding presence has really made her a household name in the health and wellness industry. So really couldn't think of somebody better to join us for this conversation today. Gabby, thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I always love those intros because then you're like, oh, they think I, I have a sense of what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, You've worked hard for all of those titles. Like, step into those. You, it's not like you were sitting around on your couch the whole time. You've done a lot in your life. You know, as I, as I move through time and life, you start to realize that there's an interesting blend of, you know, how do I lean into the things that I would like to pursue? Or I, even it, when you want to make change personally, how do I approach that and lean into that? But then simultaneously and weirdly, how do I release identity and titles and, and things that I think sometimes impact how we respond and the choices we make? And so it's always an interesting gauge between the two, right? Like it's, if you're sort of motivated or trying to accomplish things, whatever that means, but then do it for the reasons that you think really reflect you versus people will like it or they'll like me for that or things like that. So I, I don't know. It's, it's always a dance. I love that you're so introspective about that because I think that, I mean, it's just, it's impossible not to get caught up in moments searching for those external things, those titles, the money in the bank account, that specific body weight, whatever it is. When you look back at your own life and all of these accomplishments that you have, is there anything in there where you're like, oh, that really wasn't me? That actually didn't really resonate, but I did it anyways at the time? I don't think too much, really. I think there's been a part of me always, you know, I was raised in the Virgin Islands, so it's a pretty raw place. And I had a, you know, like everyone, a version of a dysfunctional family. So what's what was incredibly liberating that I understand now was that, in fact, I wasn't obliged to be any certain way. I never was raised with the idea of obligation because in a way, some of the adults in my life were not living that way either. So I think what it did was create a template that was pretty clear and open to fill in how I wanted to. And so 
most of everything, you know, reflected me. Now, if you want to get into like modeling and things like that, I mean, I sort of did that in the way that was an extension of who I really was. It was a job and it created a lot of independence. And those were all things that were really important to me. So, you know, even that, I would say that business probably is not as, it doesn't maybe mirror who I am as a person. It's highly polished and a lot slicker in certain ways than I am, but it definitely was a great tool for me. And even when I did it, even if you see pictures of me from those days, because of my size and my physique, it sort of was still done in a way that was like, oh, that's sort of an athletic person taking photographs. Yeah, I have to say as a fellow tall girl, I'm not as tall as you, but I'm 5'11". And I really struggled in high school with my height. I went from, you know, probably being 5'7 to 5'11 in the course of, I feel like it was like one year and all of a sudden was towering over all the boys. And I remember seeing a picture of you and just feeling for the first time like, oh my gosh, because you were athletic, an athletic build as well versus a lot of the models in the 90s who were, you know, so teeny tiny and you're you're healthy and and fit looking. And so I want to tell you right now that I was so grateful to have somebody like you on the cover of magazines and showing up who was tall and athletic and living a really admirable lifestyle. I'm curious to know a little bit about your relationship with your own body as an athlete, as a model, as a mom, and how your relationship with your body has evolved over the years. Well, you know, I was six feet at, at 12 years old. And in certain ways, obviously, that's that can be challenging. And and I was, you know, six, three by 15. And I think for me, though, because I was never going to fit in, I had to come pretty early into my life to a, a level of peace of, hey, people around you are going to react and respond to your size. And also, I mean, imagine when you're a teenage girl, all the way until your early 20s, you know, and I know this now, you're at the height of like your biological signaling, right? So here you are like ripe as you're ever going to be, right? So everywhere you go, people are responding to that. And so I think I had to make amends with that really early. Like I was going to find a way to have peace with that because I understood it was creating reactions in the, you know, in the small world that I would move around in. And so I, I did that part early, but I didn't actually, I don't think I tortured myself that much. I had so many bigger things that I was worried about. It was very clear to me in my life that wherever I was going to end up was going to be based on where I could get myself. I was in sort of a survival mode, some of that other stuff. And, and I just don't think I'm overly hardwired. I don't want to act like it's some huge, you know, deep wisdom that I've established. I don't actually think I'm hardwired to torment myself too much because it's connected really to the idea of there's a part of my personality that's very matter of fact. And it's like, it is what it is. So I wasn't going to sit there and try to reroute the, I wasn't going to change that I was six, three, it just wasn't going to happen. What are you going to do? Bang your head against the wall? Yeah, no, you're, you're six, three. And I won't say that I walked around robustly at that time, I don't want to sell this idea that like, wow, she was so dialed at 15. I still was always trying to stay a little bit out of the way. I was for sure. I was dealing with that. And I didn't know my place in the world because who does at 15? You know, it's sort of like order of importance with life and existence. Could I find cute clothes to be trendy and be like all, all, everyone else? I could not. Nothing fit. You know, nothing was made for me. I mean, it still barely is, right? And so I contended with that on some superficial level. Like, I just want to walk into a store and buy something cute or find shoes that fit or pants that are long enough. And and it does make you feel awkward. So I, I, I certainly felt that, but I think I hit it. And I think I tried to look at other things. And then when I was in 11th grade, I got involved with sports. And that gave me a purpose. It also gave me a very different relationship with my body because all of a sudden when your body is also a tool, it provides you with something else. And, and now as I've gotten older, so like having babies, you sort of go, wow, the, the human bodies. And I've always felt this way. When you play sports, especially at a high level, inevitably you are injured. And so you get to a place where you go like, 
oh, I'm unsure if I can, you know, if I'll be able, never mind jump, but like if I can walk without a limp from here to there. And then if your body heals itself, your level of understanding of what a miracle your body really is and, and what good health is, and also what an important tool the body is and also what health is. So you start to really get it in all these dimensions. And also you start to value and appreciate yeah, never mind like, okay, my body fat or my body weight, like it's working. And so sports really helped me get that relationship early with my body. And then modeling was an interesting thing in contrast, because you're like, so wait, one day to the next, like, just because now you're seen in magazines, everyone will agree that you appear to be pretty. But it, a year prior to that, people still thought maybe part of it was awkward or unusual. So I also saw kind of the BS in that too, where it was like, oh, I get it. This is based on everyone's opinion. And I was on the good side of it. So I'm I'm not saying like I was even on the bad side. So I had to decide that and be like, well, I have to know this for myself. I was on the good side. I was getting paid for the way I looked, but it's still, I was really clear. Like, by the way, I live in New York and there'd be girls super you know, externally beautiful, and they just didn't get in the right side of the politics of, of the work. And then there, I could go to work and there were other girls considered, quote, less beautiful, but just because they worked with the right photographers, with the right editors, they were celebrated for their beauty. And so I was like, okay, this is all a, a thing where one girl isn't more beautiful than, than the other. It's just also luck of the draw, and all these things. So you have to realize, like, I had a pretty extensive look at a lot of this very early by the time I was 18. So I just never bought into it. And I can say something pretty harsh, but I will. My mother was a very, very beautiful woman, very beautiful, and also very, very tall, almost 6'3". And her generation, that's crazy, right? And without knocking on her, because she's actually linguistically super talented, musically very talented, like a bright person that way, her world made it very easy on her to, to rely on her beauty. And in ways she did. And I watched kind of the nowhere place that that really gets you. And so I think I was paying attention to that too. I feel like you were, even though you won't say it about yourself, but you're so wise. And it's like you have had an old soul since you were a very young person, like an ability to cut through the BS and an ability to to see through the facade that is fooling so many people ultimately. And it's not better or worse. It's just for whatever reason you did have that. And I think it's part of what has made you so approachable and has allowed you to connect to so many people. I think I had the very good fortune of, of like I said, not only being sort of naturally hardwired, but then also putting being put in extreme environments. So the fashion business and then professional sports to really get to see it up close. Like some people that experience, like they look at pictures in, on social media or magazines, nobody really looks at magazines anymore, but let's say in the days that they did and not really understanding what that is. And when you, for example, are in that business and you can actually see a picture of yourself that comes out and you know, you don't look like that. So I think I really got a chance to look at all the extremes and go, okay, my feeling is, is that it's probably not real. And now I know for myself, it's not real. And then, you know, listen, moving through life and, you know, playing sports and taking care of myself, I've always felt pretty good about myself because again, going back to that matter of factness, it was like, okay, well, I can try to get to bed. I can try to eat well. I can exercise. I can try to be a happy, per happy, whatever that means, you know, like a more joyful person. And after that, I don't really have that many tools to make myself improve the way that I look. So then I'm going to let it ride. You know, I'll be 50 in January and, you know, like, it's okay. It's really okay. And yes, it's helpful that I have taken care of myself my entire adult life. Yes, it is. So it puts me, I don't want to say at an advantage because that is a luxury, right? Like I'm not stupid. Like I know being able to play sports and train as part of your living is a luxury. So I'm, I'm clear with that. But also that is now working in my favor. Mm -hmm. 
Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash rawbeautytalks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash rawbeautytalks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. No, I mean, it's true that the healthy lifestyle that you've lived will pay off in your favors. But I feel like in today's world as well, as we age as women, that there are more and more tools that are available, whether that's Botox or like the mini facelift or the little lip injections or the Facetune on Instagram or the filters or all these things that are essentially wiping out the aging woman from media or the naturally aging woman from media. And I'm curious to know, again, like especially now knowing just how practical you are about all of this, what your take is on all of that stuff. And because you're living in correct me if I'm wrong, but Hawaii part of the time and then in LA or Santa Monica part of the time. Yes. So you're like living amongst these individuals in Hollywood. It's not just those people, but who, you know, nobody doesn't get Botox there anymore. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I think this goes back to me being six foot three and athletic where I'm running my own race because I could never fit in before. So there's a part of me that I'm not interested. The joke, the running joke in the house though, is with me on that stuff is if my neck falls, I will get it pulled up. You know, like I joke, <laughs> I'm there and I go, Listen, here's the deal. Cause Laird's always like, please do not touch your face. And I'm like, yeah, no. But again, it's also easy to sit at 35 and 40 and 45 and go like, no, it's cool. Like I'll keep it together. But I'm not, I can't promise today at 49 that at 55, I don't go, you know what? Uh-huh. I'm doing everything I can. And uh, I, maybe I want to do this or that, right? The thing about the neck is I always joke, like like I've said to Laird, because he's very serious about none of that, you know, happening is I go, listen, if it does, you will drive me to the doctor. (laughs) You will smile because then the flip side of all of that is, hey, it's my prerogative as a woman If I want to make those choices, as long as it's balanced with I'm participating in everything that's in my control to support my health. And that doesn't mean just my physical health. This also means my emotional well-being. Because the problem, if you really want to dig down on like, oh, getting a this and a that, is as long as you're aligned in your mental health, because it can be dangerous if you're going through a divorce or like you just have 
feeling good about yourself that you think that, hey, if I go get a mini something, it's actually going to fix that. It will not. I mean, if it was just for superficial reasons, and I know that's like sounds so contrary, if it was like, hey, I just... I'm cool. Like I'm, I'm still with my partner and, you know, we're having sex and I'm still have interest in my life. And I'm, I'm also contributing. The other thing is, I think that's tricky is as women, as we would naturally do, I think we are so many things. We are someone's, you know, partner. We are, if we choose to have children, someone's mother, and I think we lose ourselves. So I think it's important that we don't do those things just to be seen. I think it's also important. How do we defend our own personal interests as a person, never mind as a woman, just as a human being? And also, what are we contributing? And if someone's out there and they have small children, guess what? You're contributing because if you're working at parenting people that you're going to put out into the world that hopefully will contribute, you're making the deposit investment in helping these people so that they can be rooted in some, you know, if some values and things like that. But then as they get to a little bit older, you know, is it, is it nine? Is it 10? I don't know what the age is. Every family is different. I think it's really important for women to go, okay, wait a second. Also, I need to ask myself, like, who am I? Because I always say the train, the family train doesn't stop for anyone. So the husband's down the road and, or the working person is down the road and the kids grow up and they become more independent. And then all of a sudden you're there and you're like, wow. So I gave all this stuff to everybody and now I'm here and I, I don't really know who I am or I gave up that job and now I don't know how to start again. And so I think, you know, these are complicated things where how do we get people to sort of figure out how do you stoke that fire, even if it stays little as your children are little. So when they move away, you can build that fire hotter and say, okay, I'm transitioning again. So, you know, all of the, these things come into play about like sometimes how big you want your lips to be. And it, and it's a real, I think it's a real thing. I think it is too. I think we can see it in the increase in, in plastic surgeries that people are having. And, and I want to make it very clear to anyone who's listening that this isn't bashing that. I have tried Botox before and I go back and forth as to whether or not I'm in or out. And I just love talking about all of this stuff because I think it is on so many people's minds. So this isn't uh, one way or the other. I just like hearing different people's perspectives on it. You know what it is for me? It's just about your why and making sure you're clear with your own why. As long as the why is something that supports you in the long run and it doesn't create more insecurity or more issues, have at it. And, you know, something nobody ever talks about that often. And I find it fascinating because by the way, like I have a daughter, my middle daughter's 15 and she is a, is a real beauty, right? So when she walks in a room, people are staring. And when I walk with her, I'm about three inches taller than her. It's always interesting to observe it happening. You know, young men, grown men, they're responding, right? And what I want to remind women, because they say, oh, and then I'm invisible. Okay, well, if you're of a certain age and you're not planning on having children anymore or you can't have children anymore, it's nature. You're not signaling. And so it isn't that you're not important or that you're invisible. You are contributing other things. And I think it's so important to be able to understand that quickly. So when you're in those environments, you're clear. You understand. It's nature and it's completely natural. And I always joke like I have, we have some guys that work with us on one of our fitness businesses. And I'm like, hey, it's cool if I have fine lines. I don't really care because I'm your boss. Right. And so <laughs> I mean that like in play, but also like at yeah. a certain point I've transitioned from, hey, do you want to get it on to, <laughs> yeah, I have a little bit of experience. Let's move in this direction. Now, if you're talking about sex and companionship, that's great. Your partner will be interested and excited by you. You don't need to have everyone walking down the street, head snapping because you walk by. That doesn't make you less valuable in other ways. Our job as sort of nurturing female energy and also killers is to, you know, sort of 
bring that into other dimensions of our life. So beyond a sex partner and then our children, it is also into the workforce if we choose or our community or our neighborhood to do that. And it is valuable and it is necessary. And, you know, pretty shiny eyes and giant lips and big butts and, you know, juicy, ripe young girls. It's like, hey, they're right at that time. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. I also am excited to see some businesses, though, and this is a little bit different than what you're talking about, because you're talking about just being out in the world and living and relationships and things. But when it comes to media, I would love to see more women who do have fine lines and who, I mean, because I think they call it like the missing generation. Essentially, after you turn 40, it's like you disappear out of advertisements, you disappear out of a lot of different things. And I personally would love to see more Gabby Reese in magazines and like to continue to see you and your fine lines and your beautiful athletic body out there for the world to see. And and I hope that, you know, we continue to see more of that happen in days to come. I always find it funny because young generations influence trends, right? And yet all the spending power is with older women. The only mistake, you know, sometimes they make it such a deal that it's happening that it's like, don't bother. You know, like, oh, we've, we've put this woman with fine lines and, you know, natural beauty. And for me, I see that and I go, oh, so that's it. Now that's like a thing. It's an exception to the rule. So actually just take the 17 year old and airbrush her and talk about how beautiful the skincare is. And we're good because it's a natural, real woman. It's like, what does that mean? Over 35. Okay, I got it. So the only thing I don't like is when they do it in that way, like they're doing some noble thing and I'm like, whatever. Well, that's a marketing pitch as well, right? <laughs> yeah. So part of me is like, until they can get it, like where it's sort of not a thing, but also, okay, the, the spin on that could be this. If I'm, a li- if I'm an older woman, let's say it's me. Do I, do I want to see pictures of skincare with me or do I want to see the 19 year old? And that's something we have to look at ourselves and say, are we responsible for that too? Mm -hmm. I want to see you. I personally would buy the skincare product that wasn't airbrushed. I mean, now I look at these pictures and I'm like, this is false advertising. This shouldn't even be allowed. How are they selling mascara when this is digitally enhanced eyelashes? It's not even like eyelash extensions. So to me, that's it, that just seems so backwards. And, and I know how it's impacting young girls. And so I'm like, I would way rather see wrinkles. I'd see pores and, and see somebody who, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm so over it personally, but I think that there's still obviously room to go to grow. I agree with you. I just think that we can say that, right? And then they'll go out and do market studies from L'Oreal and everybody else. And the people in the room, a large majority of the time, will respond to the thing that's not real. I know. It's also about teaching our children. Like, I have three daughters. I just have to be an example. And they'll know what feels good. They'll know. Like, they'll go through their weird phases. And by the way, I was it's a teenager. It's like, more makeup is better. And then it's like, by the time I was 19... I was done, you know, wearing it. But that's also that experimentation. But if we live it and we just do the best that we can, they will have a sense of what is real and what is not real. The problem is, is if I was like, oh, I look so, you know, I, oh, in my jeans or whatever, then my daughters will be hearing that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that moms have to be careful of, because I have some people I know that'll say things like, we don't say one thing moms nor dads should say one thing about their daughter's body weight. Think about 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. Sometimes some of them can go out and they go up. And if you make a comment, if you make a thing about it, it might become a thing. So how do we just get them to love who they are in that moment in their life and say to them, I want you to eat well so you're healthy, not so you're skinny. I don't care, you know. And just sort of those messagings. And that's the only thing we can control. I don't actually think we're ever going to change the beast that is the ad man that is like, well, if you buy this, you'll be happy. And maybe it'll fix that thing on you. That's That's how it's set up, you know? I think we just teach young women to be in charge of themselves and also to realize that life is not fair. And 
not to spend a lot of time there, but to figure out who, what do you want? How do you get that? Who do you want to be? How do you do that? And you know what? Some days you do it better than others. And, and some days you go, hey, I think I have cellulite and I'm acting like an idiot about it. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's not about never feeling that way. It's about feeling that way too. Don't stay there. Just recognize it and go, oh, I'm feeling that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, a couple things that you've mentioned along the way that can really help in regards to that is considering your body as a tool or as an instrument that you can use to experience the world, whether that's playing pro volleyball or playing a musical instrument or running down a hill with your kids. You talked a lot about finding a purpose that's bigger than the way that you look, finding some way that you can contribute or show up in the world that is bigger than your body type. And then also you mentioned this concept about that I found really interesting at the very beginning that you didn't have a lot of time to consider your body image or to get stuck on that because you were surviving. And when we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, our first need is basic survival, right? Like it's food, it's shelter, it's consistency as a child, it's that safety piece. And I think in North America, so many of us have a lot of those things taken care of. Not everyone by any means, but we we live in a country that there is opportunity and a lot of us have those things. And so we have moved from a place of survival to being able to kind of worry about these things that aren't necessarily necessities, I would say, if that makes sense. So just recognizing that. My husband always says that complaining is luxury. And if you ask me about self-discipline, right? Like, so self-discipline to try to move consistently and self-discipline to try to eat things that serve me. Self-discipline to respond in the ways that I'm hoping to respond versus reacting. But also the self-discipline to self-regulate where I'm going to put my energy. You know, it's like my lower impulsive side getting sucked down some holes Or me going, oh, wait a second, I know what that is and I'm vulnerable today. So I'm, I'm going to figure out the way to keep my mind and my, and my thoughts on, on higher ideas. But also we all get so sucked into our own worlds. And at the end of the day, it's like, first of all, there's perfectly beautiful girls, whatever that means everywhere. And so we're not really special that way. What makes us special is like who we are and who loves us and who we love. And that's why I always tell my girls, like, if you have a skill set and you can develop that and okay, great. So you're pretty, that's bonus. But it's really important sometimes also to back away from your own life and take a real look and go, this thing I'm doing right now that I'm so worried about, does it really matter? It doesn't. Most times it doesn't. You know, it's like, hey, if everyone's healthy and like there's food on the table and we have a roof, everything else. And and I feel like to your point, the more we have, the more time we have to make up problems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, okay, if we're hardwired to do that, it's very natural. We don't need to punish ourselves for acting like that. It's pretty normal. It's sort of like wanting, like I have a big house. Now I need a bigger house. We adapt like crazy, right? And so I think it's normal, but then it's getting to a place where you go, wow, I got to get busy. I better do something because my thoughts are running away with themselves. And this is ridiculous. So what I appreciate about the idea of self-discipline isn't in these all these sort of superficial ways and scheduling ways, but it's when we can get a hold of our mind when it starts doing some funny stuff and going, oh, I, I see you. Okay, it's cool. Let's go do something. And so I think it's not about beating ourselves up to compare or that we're thinking of frivolous things. It's to be able to recognize it and, ch- and change course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bingo. That's totally it. Gabby, I'm going to push pause on our conversation for one second because I want to tell everyone who's listening right now about another health hack that I'm kind of crazy about right now, Sage's Peppermint Halo Headache Remedy. If you haven't heard me talk about this, I use it almost every day. 
Peppermint Halo is a pocket-sized essential oil blend that relieves tension, headaches, and leaves you with this amazing cooling effect. You just roll it on the back of your neck or your shoulders at the end of a long day or whenever you need that extra little bit of ah in your life. Sage is offering 20% off their products at www.sage.com using the code rawbeauty20. They've got natural essential oil remedies, diffusers, and so many wellness products. You can also head over to rawbeauty.co backslash sage to see how I use peppermint halo and other sage products in my life. Go check it out right now or click the link in our show notes. All right, Gabby, back to you. Now, for you, when it comes to discipline, you're obviously incredibly self-disciplined. Have you always had that within you or is it something that you've had to practice? And if somebody's listening to this podcast right now thinking like, I know I need to do all of these things, but I'm just not getting off the couch to do it. I'm not turning off Instagram. I'm not making that choice. Do you have any tips for them in cultivating that self-discipline within? Yeah, I think it's, first of all, let's talk about social media. It's an addiction, right? It's like getting off sugar. Like it's a real thing. And we can't leave it up to chance that we're going to say, that's it. I'm only going to manage it. We've got to put a system in place to support us. So what does that mean? I don't want to train six days a week. I just have a system in place that I get it done. It's the same thing for social media. Listen, I'm not going to naturally get off Instagram or wherever. I'm just going to have either a schedule or these times of the day that I just simply don't do it. Not because, and it isn't about like how I feel or the, it's just, that's the way it is. So it isn't about people feeling guilty that they don't have the self-discipline. It's just about how do you put these things in place? And okay, you're sitting on the couch. Great. You have to schedule that you're going to meet and walk with somebody at some point, at a certain time, at a certain location that you can't get out of, and you will not bail it. I always liken it to like, who wants to pick up the kids at school, right? But you don't go, you know what? It's two o'clock. I'm really into this work project. And, you know, Junior's going to have to wait. No, you go. It's 2.30. You've got to go, right? And I think it's the same idea with all of these systems in our lives where it's like, hey, I can't do this by myself. I got to figure out and construct something that will support what I really believe are my end goals. And in the days that we blow it, we're going to say, I blew it today. It's okay. I love myself. And tomorrow, even if it's Thursday, is going to be like my Monday and I'm going to get right back after it. And so I just want to say to people, it isn't you're born or one person's born one way or the other where, you know, like these people are lunatics and they just want to get after it all the time. And why do I feel so lazy? People are inherently lazy. That's the other thing too. We're meant to be lazy. We're meant to like go for a really short period of time if we were in nature and then we'd sit under a tree and then what's the path of least resistance? How do I make myself comfortable? It's like all that stuff is so natural. For someone listening, I just think it's like, hey, listen, first it's got to start with this. Knowing that you're valuable enough and important enough and to love yourself enough to go, okay, what do I really think is valuable investing in me, myself? So, and what are the other assets that are important? My time, right? Number one. So how do you figure out the way to honor yourself in that way? Even if it's like uncomfortable, because in the end, it is the greatest investment you can make. And I know it's hard and there are days I don't feel like it myself, believe me. And sometimes the longer it's been, I know the harder it is. So do you have someone out there? Do you have a friend that you can connect with and say, hey, I know you and I talk about this and our goals are similar. Do you want to try to really do this together? And you got to write it down. Like what are the days you're going to meet to walk or go to the gym or that class, whatever class. And, you know, maybe we can discuss the foods that we think we're going to be preparing and eating. We're going to agree that we're both going to go to bed by 10 and turn all our electronics off. Just these simple little things that if we can make it a priority, you know, we, we talk about it in our house, your values. I'm, I'm a very clean person. My kids will accuse me sometimes of overdoing it. And I say, well, my mind is busy, so I need my environment to be clear because then I'm more productive. But my values are, I don't really need to like have the cutest clothes. I don't really care. I mean, I was probably beaten out of me because nothing fits, but 
it was about like, no, I think health and, and feeling good and gathering and my family and like, what are your values? Like people have their cars are spotless. Ladies get their nails done. We spend a lot of time in front of the TV and it's like sort of taking a step back and going, wait a second, I need to put myself and my well-being pretty high on all that. And then saying, and how am I going to do that? And, and that's a lot of times the, the issue is that people don't actually see it as valuable. Mm. But it's everything. It's the foundation for our life. And as you said, time is our greatest asset at the end of the day. I'll never forget sitting down with Ken Sim, who's an incredible entrepreneur based in Vancouver. And he agreed to meet with me for a coffee. And I showed up at his location and he was like, oh, it's opening day here. And I was like, what? Why are you meeting with me on opening day? But the piece that he left with me when we talked, he said, who's more valuable, you or me? And I said, you are. Like, you have way more money than me, way nicer house. Like, at the time, I wasn't married or had kids yet. You have you're married, you have kids. And he was like, you're 15 years younger than me. He's like, if we look at time as being your greatest asset, then you're actually way more valuable than I am. And that always stuck with me because it's exactly like what you just said. It's really understanding how do you want to spend your time on this earth and what are you going to fill it up with and what is going to give back to you the most at the end of the day. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I have one more question for you. Your book, I don't know when it was published. It's not a recent publication, but I loved the title of it. My Foot is Too Big for the Glass Slipper, A Guide to the Less Than Perfect Life. We're going to link to her book in the show notes so you can check it out there. And first of all, this title is everything. I absolutely love it. I'm curious to know in your life, something you've gone through where it felt less than perfect. And I'm going to just ask, you and Laird seem to have like the most incredible supportive marriage on Instagram. You're always sharing these cute posts and you've got your three girls and like you just seem madly in love. And I'm curious to know if you have any behind the scenes from your marriage that you want to share with us? Well, you know, it's interesting. As I always say, you know, Laird and I, we'll, we'll, this November, we'll, we will have been together 24 years. The interesting thing is Laird and I are both so intense that what we actually naturally do is keep each other in check. Laird is the most giving and generous husband, literally. Like you want to talk about a person who shows up every single day and sticks their feelings out on the chopping block every single day, clears the decks. You make one weird look two times in a row, ask you what's going on. Like you're talking about somebody and he's way better at all of that than I am. His ability to be present, not susceptible because he spends so much time in nature with white noise. Right? So we're always like constantly in this weird standoff where it's silently being stated, okay, you bring your best and I'm going to bring my best, but you're responsible. I'm not here to govern you or parent you. That's on you to decide how much you want to bring, right? And so you wake up each day and you think, even when I really don't want to come down and smile, because I'm, I'm slow to wake up and I'm a very internal person. I was an only child. You know, I think, oh, well, that's not really fair to Laird. You know, so when I go down in the morning, I try my best to meet him with my best each day. And that is hard to do with somebody who knows you very, very well. I always say I never speak to anyone great, kinder than I speak to Laird. Like that is the silent expectation. He honors himself enough. He will not be spoken to in a way that's disrespectful to him. Now, if I'm having a bad day or guess what? Maybe we're close to some kind of conflict. Great. It's still not dirty pool. I never say things that are like below the belt, but it's a little different. Now, having said all of that, I would say we're not a couple who spends energy fighting. We just don't. Life is too short. It's like, hey, let's discuss this. Okay, let's work through it. However, the first maybe three years of our marriage, five years of our relationship, I left. And we had a pretty rough year because I I didn't know how to dance. I didn't I hadn't seen many healthy relationships. I wasn't comfortable really expressing my needs. It was very hard for me. Because when you're self-contained and self-reliant, you don't know how to ask for what you need because it actually means that you're being vulnerable. Right. So I, that was really an interesting time for us. And Laird was 
very kind and, and patient with me. Because listen, he's a demanding, intense person to live with. Don't kid yourself. But <laughs> his ability to, to sort of allow me to decide like, hey, you know, he didn't just go, okay, forget this. I don't need this and split. Right. So we had that. And, and also um, for 10 years of our first part of our marriage, Laird, he drank wine, but only at night, only at home from like five, he would still go to bed at eight. But listen, it was an issue. It's a real issue. Then we, about 12 years ago, we had a, and I, I would literally say it was over a two day period where we went through a very heavy situation as a couple. I was pregnant with my youngest daughter. And what I realized in that, so if anyone's ever going through something with their partner, and Laird did this for me, which was I was going through a crisis that, yes, it had to do with him the first time, but it was sort of my own crises. And Laird gave me the time and didn't take everything personal. And in this next conflict, I would say that I learned that Laird was navigating his own crises with alcohol. And it was also an opportunity for me to show up for him in the ways that he had shown up for me. And the other thing that happened was change of behavior. So from one day to the next, Laird was in one pattern and literally went into a new pattern and has been in that pattern for 12 years. So I want to say to people, like, sometimes we have to give people that chance because sometimes the only way we can get into a new pattern or be in the better part of ourselves is to hit the bottom and go, oh, you know what? It isn't working. And to give them that moment, that grace to say, I believe in you, it can be different, but then they have to do the work. And that's the flip side. If they keep going after a while, you have to decide, hey, this feels like this doesn't feel like it's going to happen. So we do have a very loving and healthy. And I think the other side of it is our relationship is dynamic. Each person on their own is trying to be like a little better, maybe hopefully learn something and then come together. And so I think that really is a helpful part of, of the situation. Mm, I love hearing about your relationship and it just sounds like you do an incredible job of holding space for one another to become your best selves as individuals and as a team and also to allow growth at different stages and phases because I think so often we you know are on our own journey or path and we're growing and changing and evolving and we expect our partner to be doing the exact same thing at the exact same time that's not really realistic. Sounds like you've worked at this, that it hasn't always just flowed effortlessly, but in putting in work, you've really, you know, created something beautiful and admirable. So as a Scott and I just celebrated our fifth anniversary, we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I can't wait to be, you know, celebrating our 24th anniversary. And I appreciate you sharing that kind of thing because I don't think we all often hear about the tools and tactics and things that people do in their marriage to keep it healthy and, and alive. So thank you. Of course. I think if you're a female and you're in a relationship with a male, if you choose that dynamic and you sort of say, hey, I'm, I kind of am interested in his masculinity, what I do know to be true is I'm not Laird's mom. I actually would prefer to be his partner and his lover, but then I also have to act like that. And the tendency for us, especially you throw in some kids, is we just start mothering everybody. <laughs> yeah. And it's easy. It's easy to do, right? We're good at it. We're in charge. We're organized. We've got lists. And if I could encourage women to even if, I don't want to say pretend, but if it doesn't come naturally to like tell your partner, hey, I really appreciate you, or to make it your suggestion to sneak away for intimacy and to make them feel wanted, their ability, and you know, you could say it's even selfishly to shine that light back on you will grow stronger because sometimes I don't know that they have the wherewithal on how to create that dynamic. And I think as women, if, if we can lift them up in their masculinity, in their maleness, in the good way, they will elevate and actually probably be more of the partner that you really want anyway. Mm. Beautiful. I love it. Gabby, you're working on something really cool right now. And I would love to tell the audience about it. You have your own podcast. 
Oh yeah, I know. Tell us about it. Oh my gosh. I, well, I'm, I used to do a podcast with Neil Strauss. There's a lot of irony and humor in that. Neil Strauss wrote a book called The Game and uh, The Truth. We used to have um, a podcast called The Truth Barrel. And then I just decided, and I would give it a go on my own because I'm sort of interested in very different things. The Neil, so I have four. I'm going to record four more before I start rolling them out. It's just the Gabby Reese podcast. What are you going to be talking about on it? Well, it just depends on the guest. I think for me, you know, it's like the smartest people. You can have the smartest guy in tech. It's like, that's great. How do you get your kids not to be addicted to the phone? And how do you, you know, how do you navigate? So I basically think I'm going to be asking some of the smartest people I know the same things, which is, well, how do you do it in your real life? Because by the way, it's like professionally, I can put forward my my best professional foot and everyone's like, wow, she has it all together. Yeah, cool, come to my house. So <laughs> at some point, like, let's get to it and let's help each other and teach each other because that's the only way how to really get through it, which is like, oh, I never thought of it that way. That's a good idea. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to tune in. We'll make sure that we send people over that way. Anywhere else that our audience can connect with you? You're over on Instagram, your website. Can you share the handle with them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm on Instagram at Gabby Reese. And then I I think we're on Facebook and they can find me. It's fine. (laughs) Just Google her. Just Google her. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. You had so many incredible bits of wisdom and advice. And it was just such a pleasure to talk to somebody who I've looked up to from afar for a really long time. So thank you, Gabby. Well, thanks for those kind words. And I hope that your people listening start tomorrow with their best self-care that they can come up with. And thanks for having me. Mm, Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this episode, but be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our mailing list so you don't miss a single show. If you like this episode, please take a moment to leave a review, take a screenshot, and share it on social tagging at Raw Beauty Talks. We'll be regramming your posts every week. As we wrap things up, remember, your body is different than any other body out there. So as you listen to these episodes, keep tuning back into yourself to see what resonates. See you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.